Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. We're going to get to the point where you're going to be able to tell this story for me. It was a few months ago. I was in Mississauga with Nadia. She just preached a killer sermon. Ministry of the table to a room full of pastors, leaders, and staff. That sermon was then referenced multiple times at the end of her message from stage by different people. Such a great day. She's such a great communicator. The following morning, though, we caught up with a friend whose name is Jason Ballard, who's getting at minimum eight shout-outs across a two-month period in our church. Love him so much. He said, Leo, I've been thinking about a question. How do you make one disciple? That question would go on to shape the thinking of our church's team for the next three or four months. That thinking would then go on to have um, such an impact that we would brainstorm, talk, we would critique. (laughs) That question would go on to create arguments in our staff at the office on a weekly basis where someone would throw out an idea. I'll never forget when Jaden threw out a couple of ideas which then got transformed into discussions about an app, which had two or three members of our staff seething. I've never seen someone seethe at a conversation about an app. But on this day, it did as we began to talk about what does discipleship mean to us? When I was 13 years old, I didn't ask myself the question, how do I make one disciple? But I began to think about what it was for me to follow Jesus, not from a church family, didn't grow up in the church, went to a youth event with a friend, met Jesus on an altar, prayed a simple prayer, gave my life to him. And I thought to myself, being a a follower of Jesus is a lot like being an apprentice or at the age of 13, what I thought an apprentice might be like, a builder's apprentice, electrician's apprentice, plumbing apprentice. To be an apprentice, to follow someone who knows, to learn the ways. I realized I wasn't too far from the truth. Over the last three or four years, we as a a church, as a team, have been working on what has become, I think, a strength of ours, which is relational discipleship, which is discipling people in the context of relationship. It's very hard to have a discussion with someone to try and bring improvement or growth or health discipleship in their life if you don't have a relationship. Hey, so I was thinking, um, here's a blind spot you've got whoa, what a great way to offend somebody. So rather than have a church full of hurt or offended Christians, let's have relationship first and on the journey, let's disciple where necessary. But we want to make a shift, a pivot, not away from relational discipleship, but in that context into a more intentional version of discipleship to define it, to bring people on the journey. We've been talking for two weeks. We're going to be talking for six more on the topic of discipleship under this phrase or this word picture of being covered in the dust of our rabbi and being dusty Christians. And on that note today, I want to talk to you on the topic of long walks on the beach. If I was alive when Jesus was alive, I've often wondered to myself, I would have been an amazing Christian. If I was alive when Jesus was alive, wouldn't I have just been a, wouldn't I have been a better Christian? Wouldn't it just be easier? If, I mean, if Jesus was here, 
If Jesus was here, well, first of all, I wouldn't be preaching. Jesus would be preaching. But if I was preaching, because he made me preach, I would be looking at him like, am I doing okay? What do you think? What are your thoughts? I'll be like, okay, I mean, like, I've often asked people, what, what can I do to improve? I want to be an open book in my leadership, in my marriage, in my life, my parenting, as a friend. But it's Jesus. More than an open book, I want to be an open heart. I want to be like, man, what did I say that was off, wrong, bad? Help me. You're the greatest preacher of all time. You're the son of God. You're the son of man. You're the rabbi of Nazareth. You're the greatest human being ever lived. You are my hero. What can I do better? He ministered within a hundred mile radius, lived a nomadic lifestyle, performed signs and wonders. He was tangible in the flesh, was seen by many. John 1.14 says, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son. It would certainly make last week's discussion about Beit Sefer and Beit Talmud, as well as following him and be covered in his dust a lot easier and it would make it make a lot more sense. But on the other hand, I now have the ability through the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about, Nadi will talk about week five, I think, of our sermon series, of our discipleship series. I now have the ability through the Holy Spirit to converse with him on a daily basis from the comfort of my favorite chair. In fact, even though he's not sitting here in this chair today, he is though in my corner, he is with us, he does communicate. He is alive. I can be a Christian, a follower of the Messiah, with the largest grouping of religious followers that the world has ever seen in human history, and I do not need a candle, although candles are great. I don't need a Ouija board, a temple, a mountain, a sojourn, a mystic, divination, tarot cards, or any such thing to increase the likelihood of community with Him because he is living, his spirit is alive, and he is working in my life right now. And all I need to do is build a relationship with him to engage with the spirit of God. Through the 2000s was a heavy swing towards relationship and away from religion. Are you religious? No, it, would became, it became a sin. <laughs> <laughs> you have to leave your laughing. You, if you want, if it works, cut out this whole section, but you have to leave your laughing. The amount of times I try and get you guys to laugh and you don't, you just giggle into it. But that's true, right? Are you religious? No, no. No, 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 not religious. Definitely not religious. Then the person asking who's not religious was confused. What do you mean? I thought you went to church. You talk to me about God all the time. You say grace and hold hands at your family dinner every night. I thought you were religious. Nope. I believe in relationship. And I, I get it because religion sounded so heavy. Rules, regulations, do's and don'ts, 10 commandments. Like I can't, there's so many things I can't do. We wanted people to understand that Jesus loves you and wants a relationship with you. But at the same time, there's a good balance of both because I have relationship, yes, but I have a relationship with God, which by definition is not just a way of thinking, is a school of thought, is a way of life. It's a, it is by definition a religion. In 2022, celebrity culture means that we want to meet people, connect with them, but then walk away. See someone famous? 
Someone said to me the other day, they think Julia Stiles. Remember Julia Stiles? Born movies, uh, uh, Save the Last Dance. She was in Silver Linings Playbook. She was the, she was the person who introduced Bradley Cooper to Tiffany, and uh, you know, who would then win an Oscar for her role. You know, someone said Julia Stiles lives in Ottawa. Come on, I don't think so. But if she did, imagine if you see it. Yo, I love you and save the last dance. Ryan Reynolds used to live in Vanier. Tom Cruise went to high school in Ottawa. This is pretty cool. I wish I was there when they were here. What did they do? Hey, Van City Reynolds, my guy. It's happened to me many times as I've met famous people, but you know that you only have a limit of time with that person because they're famous. Even with regular people. You don't want to hold on to someone's whole day. You want to just take a, take a moment for the perfect amount of time. There's this moment on James Gordon where he's having a conversation with Larry David, who co-wrote Seinfeld, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And they're in a restaurant retelling a story, and Larry David comes over to James and says, hey, James, hey, wife, kids, how you going? Dogs, great, amazing. And then he walks off, and he says on the show, he says, didn't I stay for the perfect amount of time? James is laughing because he's like, you did. What is it? He says, I don't know. It's just a magic moment where you know now's the time to leave. And you also know that there are people that don't understand that moment and stay for 15 minutes longer than they should. They know they linger at the door when you go to say goodbye. Jesus compels, though, far more than just a moment. He compels far more than just a second of relationship. Jesus and following him is, my friends, a lifelong commitment. He compels more than a moment we're leaving at the perfect time. He compels a lifelong dedication and followership. But spending time with Jesus doesn't have an expiry date. Dallin Humphrey, one of our beloved members of our church, on our staff, on our board, one of our closest friends, she posted like a 2020 wrap-up on her thoughts from the year, good and bad. And she said, one of the things I learned this year was I need to get out and be in nature, walks in the forest. One of the things I love about a walk in the forest and people are part of the Soulmates Run Club who love trail runs, love the fact that you're out in nature, taking your time, you put your watch away, not worried about cadence, not worried about pace. You're just enjoying being out running, spending time with Jesus. It doesn't have an expiry date. You could go for a walk with Dallin in the forest for three hours. I know there are many people who are part of our church out sort of Nepean, Kanataway, and women in our church go for these long two to three hour walks. They're walking with Jesus and walking with friends. Spending time is the greatest key to our faith. One might argue that it is our faith. One might argue that that person might be me. That the point of our faith is the time that we spend with Jesus. That the goal is relationship. That relationship with Jesus is the smallest key that opens the biggest door. There might be a school of thought of people that would say, oh, I don't want to be a church that's about decisions. I want to be a church that makes disciples. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But you can't have a disciple without a decision. Someone's got to pray a prayer of repentance to start and engage their relationship. That's like saying, I just want a marriage, not a wedding. <laughs> you can't have one without the other. You have a wedding, that's the start. But the marriage is the journey. I always think to myself, you know, I hope this, I should probably stop saying this joke because if it happens, I'll, I'll freak out. But imagine getting to the pearly gates. You get up there and they don't have your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I mean, this is actually a terrible joke. But imagine that. You'd be like, what, what went wrong? I would definitely, you know, those moments when you're at the restaurants, 
or cafes and you get that person there and they're like, I'd like to speak to the manager, please. I actually don't mind that phrase because I would like to speak to the manager sometimes. Like I was treated so poorly, the service is so bad, the food is cold, I found a hair in my soup, the coffee's taken an hour and a half, I just want to speak to the manager. I couldn't get into the, um, I had a Vax pass issue at a Toronto Raptors game one time, so I couldn't see the game because whatever, long story. And, uh, and she's like, no, I'm sorry, you know, you know, you haven't been vaccinated. You're not fully vaccinated. And I'm like, come on, can I speak with your manager? I wanted to go, I actually wanted to go to a third level <laughs> of managerial discussions because I really wanted to watch Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan, and Zach Levine play the Raptors. And I wanted to see the Raptors. And I, and, and, and I imagine at the pearly gates, can I speak with the manager, man? Like, I'll like, in fact, you know what? Where's Jesus? Just grab him. Because if I can just see him, I'm sure he'll recognize me. Doesn't he say just the opposite to prove my point in the scriptures? Where he says, you did all these things in my name. Healed people, drove out demons. You did all these things in my name, but I don't know you. In other words, what I think Jesus is saying is, you can do all these things, but if the goal is to know him and you do things and don't know him, you don't have a relationship. Therefore, you might get to those pearly gates and realize, oh, you didn't make it into the Lamb's Book of Life. It would be like Nadia saying, Levi, we're married on paper. I remember the wedding. I got photos, but we don't have a relationship. But on paper, we're married. Jesus saying, you did all these things in my name. It would be like me saying to you, hey, everybody. And doesn't he speak about this too, about the Pharisees praying and fasting? It would be like me saying, guys, I prayed for two hours this morning. You know what? No one cares. No one cares if you prayed. Caleb Groenewag, every day at the moment. Oh my gosh, every day. About 6.15 is like, I've done today's Bible shred. 30-day Bible shred. Green tech, done it, read it. Here's my thoughts. No one cares. No one cares. No jokes. We all care. We love it. <laughs> I delivered that one with too much vigor and passion that you actually thought I was, I was serious. I'm not. I'm joking. But no one cares. What matters, though, is that I know that as Caleb reads the word, he's getting to know Jesus. If the goal of reading the Bible and praying and spiritual practices, foreshadowing, is just that we do it, we've lost the point. The goal is relationship. We just read a passage from the book of John. In fact, we didn't. I'm going to read it right now, though. Book of John, chapter 1, verse 35. This is one of my favorites. 35 to 42 says this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus turning around. Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went with him and saw where he was staying. They spent the day with Jesus. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that heard John had said who he was, and he, the first thing he did was he ran to grab his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. What a great brother. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The passage that we've just read from the book of John is one of the most perfect, it's one of my favorite Jesus stories. It's one of the most perfect examples of relational discipleship that Jesus wants to build with the people that he leads. What do you want, he says. Rabbi, where are you staying? And he says, come and you will see. I was talking with someone in the church the other day who's got someone staying with them at the moment. 
And Nadia was like, does that happen to you all the time? Do you know this person? And she goes, no, no, my mom just always invites people over who have nowhere to stay, and they come and stay with us. I was just like, that is just perfect. She goes, yeah, my mom's the best. Sometimes I'll wake up because she's praying for me while I'm sleeping, hovering over the top, laying hands, or just like, just, just, your head's just off my face. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Speaking while I'm sleeping. Relational discipleship. My doors are open. My house is available. I'm giving you the Wi-Fi password. You should automatically get it when you walk in. My house is your house. Jesus wants involvement. He wants intimacy. He wants relationship. Jesus is a lesson I would learn later on in life. Wants to hang out. So if the goal is relationship, then today's biggest question is this. How do we get it? How do we get relationship? If the goal is relationship, how do we get relationship? Sitting behind the camera today is Chris, who's, who's on our staff, who's become a great friend of mine. Let's make this moment just for a second about Chris. And let's answer the question, if we want to be friends with Chris and have a relationship with him, how do we get it? I reckon, I reckon some people might come up with some interesting ideas. I think someone might say, oh, I need to learn English culture. That would help. And I might say, yeah, that might help. She said, oh, I know the best way to get to Chris is through Mali. I need to get to know Mali if I'm going to get to know Chris. Yeah, that's good. That makes sense. I understand where you're coming from. A lot of people might, oh, he's a musician. He's the worship pastor. I need to learn how to play. Uh, you know, why? Well, you can learn how to play bass. <laughs> you get to know Chris because we need one in the church. All these different ways. And you know what I would think? Of the, the, the two to three years I've known Chris, I think I've come up with a plan that I might execute if I was going to get to know Chris just a little bit better. And you know what it is? Fishing. I reckon if I got into fishing, I reckon if I bought myself those gumboots that are pants. You know those gumboot pants? The camouflage ones. They're like cover overalls. They clip and they're like, you could stand in the water and fish. I think that if I got into fishing, I think if I bought one of my Ontario fishing licenses, and I think if I renewed it on a regular basis, and I think if I text him regularly and said, bro, 100%, let's go fishing, I think he might never turn me down. I think that I would find myself in an opportunity with him one-on-one or in a small group where we would be doing something that he loves all the time. Let's take what I've just taught you about Chris and turn that into a conversation about Jesus. If I'm going to build a relationship with Jesus, if that's the goal of our faith is Him, then how do I get to know Him? Then I've got to figure out what Jesus likes. I've got to figure out what He does and the best way in which to communicate with Him. For a pop culture reference, spiritual disciplines have entered the chat. Daily practices, habits, devotions, routines have, my friends, entered the chat. Right up front, though, I think it's really, really important that we cannot stress enough that the goal of disciplines is relationship, that the goal of the practices is relationship, that Jesus is the end, the practices are just the means, that the goal after I've finished recording today is to go home and celebrate 16 years married with Nadia. That's the end goal. The means is my car. But if I didn't have a car, that wouldn't stop me from getting to see Nadia. I would walk. I would crawl across glass. You know how people say those kind of things? You wouldn't. You'd probably find another way. You know, you'd probably fly or get, catch an Uber. I'd do whatever I can as the means to get to that end. So let me talk to you today about what I think 
in introductory, but what I think are six key practices that we need in our life if we're going to connect with Jesus. I want to give them all to you, then I'm going to go through each one. And today, I've actually got a special surprise for you. I have brought thoughts from most of our church's leaders who shared back with me on a chat about what they think about these practices, and I think you're going to love these pieces of anonymous feedback. But write these down. Prayer, Bible reading, Sabbath, worship, church, I'm going to keep going, and giving. Write those down. We're going to talk about a couple of other ones in the days that are to come, but I want you to write those six down. And the first one I want you to talk about, that I want us to talk about is this. Spiritual practice number one for our conversation today is this. Prayer. In short, prayer is two-way communication with Jesus. Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said this. You should pray like this. This is what he literally said. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, will be done. Uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us that daily bread. He prayed what we would now call the Lord's Prayer. So think about that for a second. It's called the Lord's Prayer. In other words, the Lord prayed this prayer, and in the prayer he said, this is how you should pray. And many of us don't pray like that. It was a prayer that embodied family language. He's our Father. It's a prayer that encouraged and centered on God's holiness, his paternal relationship to us, his contribution in our lives, our forgiveness, and the forgiveness of others. What a beautiful moment. That prayer is a two-way conversation with God. That James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's, a, that's such a cool verse. It goes on to say this. The prayer of a righteous man made righteous through Jesus is powerful and effective. One of the leaders in our church said this, prayer is my greatest weapon to see God move. It's a way to not just communicate to God, but to hear from Him. It's a way for me to partner with God where He is already working and be a part of His kingdom purposes. It really is my favorite way to fight. Another leader said this, for me, prayer is a time to draw close to the Father and spend time set apart with Him. Prayer is a time to build intimacy with Him, worship, thanksgiving, but also petitioning heaven for the things that are on God's heart and on my heart, for others, for myself, for the family, or what's going on in the world. I think we often put this as the last resort, but it should be our first one. God cares about every detail of our lives. I even pray for things that might be small, but I think it means a lot to him when we invite him into every detail and every part of our life every day, like a father and a friend, not just letting him into the big decisions, but the small ones too. Another person said this, for me, prayer is a link between heaven and earth, God, me, and others. This link presents itself in different ways, through my silence, I listen to God, or I let him probe my heart. Through my size, he knows everything. It also is a weapon to trigger the intervention of God. A compass to obtain direction. I wish I wrote this. A compass to obtain direction and comfort for the downcast soul. Prayer is the means that shows me that God is alive, that he listens to me, and that he's in me. Sometimes it can be a tracking number to deliver God's message to bless his children. For me, prayer is intentional and direct communication with the Father and comforter of our souls, but also the practice that realigns me with God and His rightful place as Lord of my life. 
as I pray, I often start with a kind of scattered mindset and quite quickly my mind and thoughts are put into perspective and made in the proper order as the Holy Spirit has space to move. Oh man, like other people are preaching this sermon to you today through me, that I'm a conduit for this incredible wisdom. Someone once said prayers are deathless. Someone else said that prayers outlive those who pray them. That prayer is a key practice for us to get to know God and find out His will. That as we speak to Him and hear what He has to say in response. There are a few different types of prayer that we'll learn and explore over the year, ranging from prayer intercession as we pray for others, praying for healing, silent devotional prayer, spiritual warfare, supplication, or what is earnestly asking for something, petitioning heaven. That all these moments, that all these um, vehicles of prayer fundamentally are communicating with God so that we can get to know him better. In fact, prayer by definition is just talking. Talking and prayer by definition is a conversation, but what makes it prayer is that that conversation is with God. Number two, if you're taking notes, let's talk about the Bible or your quiet time or daily devotions. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is God's expression of himself to us. It is his story from creation, the birth of Israel, the prophecy of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, the birth of the church, the second coming of Christ. The Bible is our handbook for life. We believe in the co-authorship of the Bible, that it was breathed by God, written by man, that he's the author, that the Bible is living and is active. Someone said this, it's living and active, which means that I can expect that it would change me every time I read it. No matter what situation, feeling, or life context that I have, I can read the word and it can speak something relevant for my life in that moment. Often it changes my thinking or my expectations and raises them higher. It aligns my thoughts with God's thoughts and it brings a balance to my life. It realigns my vision to see things from God's perspective. I love it. No other book can do this for me. The Bible is the source of our understanding of God. It is our reference point. It contains everything that we need to know about God. Number three, if you're taking notes, the church. Hebrews 10, 25 says, and let us not give up meeting together. And some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one, and I love that, encouraging one, you can do this, get up, come on, we've got this step by step, let's go, let's keep moving forward. Encouraging one another, and all the more as the day approaches, let us not give up meeting together. Another translation says, let us not forsake the gathering of the saints. Oh man, there's another balance, sinner and saint, we're both. I'm a sinner because I sin, but I'm a saint because I've been saved and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when we gather together, sometimes we feel like sinners, sometimes we feel like saints, but the truth's held in tension is who we truly are. And when we gather and encourage and we're built up and edified, we realize that we're a part of what God is building on the earth. Someone on the team said this, it reminds me that I'm part of something bigger than myself. They go on to say, there's nothing like corporate worship. I get the teaching, the growth and encouragement that I need. I get to humble myself and serve others. 
as centers and, and sets up my week usually leads to hangouts after to build relationship. I can see God working in other people. I can use my gifts and skills. It is a place where personally I feel the most alive. In the church, I found friends. I found my wife. I dedicated and baptized my kids. I found a family, a cause, a tribe, a mission, acceptance, camaraderie, stability, fellowship, hope, answers. The church, like any other, has brought me pain and hurt, disappointment, frustration. But what else could we expect from the largest corporate gathering of human beings on the planet? Of course, you're going to be disappointed and hurt. You're dealing with other people, frustrated, pain. More people will attend church today in America than the combined annual total of all of the attendance of all four major sports in America this year. That is an astounding fact. 130 million people go to church. Of course, you'll experience disappointment. But in the church, I've been raised, baptized, taught, encouraged, uplifted, edified. I am today categorically a better person because of the church. If you're taking notes, write down this word, worship. The 30-day Bible shred allows us the opportunity, uh, sorry, the 30-day Bible shred is reading the whole Bible in 30 days. That's what it is. I don't even know why it's called the shred. Are you really shredding the Bible? You're shredding yourself? You know, sin's being shred? Shredding my life on the cross? Not sure. 30-day Bible, and I shouldn't assume you know what that means. It's reading the Bible in 30 days, which is really, let's be honest, People are listening to the Bible in 30 days, which is fine. But, you know, reading and listening is a bit different. But that's a conversation for another day. Shout out Ryan Harmon. Uh, from the Bible from start to end, what it does when you read it or listen to it over a short period of time, it gives you a broader perspective or what I would call a bird's eye view. A quiet time or devotion is about a specific and detailed approach to one part of the Bible. And that's great. But you can miss broader stuff. Just like with broader stuff, you can miss the details and the nuances. Someone said that if the devotion is studying the leaves, then the 30-day Bible shred is studying the whole tree. As I've done the Bible shred in the last three years, I, um, I, sometimes this year I think it would be more like a 43-day shred. You know, shout out. One of my observations, though, is that there is so much info on genealogy, so much information on genealogy, family lineage. It feels like I'm reading a whole book, Kings and Chronicles, Judges. It's just like... Family begat this person begat the family genealogy, massive observation. This another, there is so much singing. There is. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible there is so much singing? Everyone all the time is always singing. There is whole books dedicated to singing, whole sections dedicated to singing. There are heroines who write songs. There are heroes who write songs. There are prophets who write songs. There are songs that people write when they're happy, songs that people write when they're sad, songs when they're elated, songs when they're depressed. It's a book full of music. It even has music and lyrics written in the book itself. Whole books dedicated to worship, to praising God, to thanking Him, to lifting Him up. The New Testament lifts our definition of worship to include everything in our daily lives that this is an immense challenge, that we have elevated worship from just singing to so much more than that. But for the sake of the sermon, just as we just do a, a tip of the tip of the iceberg today, let's just keep the focus on singing songs of worship and not, 
encouraging you, although I will, to live your whole life out of worship. Let's just talk about singing just for a minute. Someone wrote this. Singing, worship is warfare. In biblical times, they would send the worshipers out in front of the warriors. And sometimes God would move so powerfully through the worshipers that the warriors wouldn't even need to fight. Incredible. That is the, that's the power of praise, the power of worship. It's all about glorifying God. And yet the beautiful part is that in that process, we get to receive by entering into his presence. It truly leads us into the throne room of heaven where there is worship going on all the time that we get to join into that song. Definitely not something to be taken lightly. It is like touching eternity. Oh, that is brilliant. And they're all been anonymous, but Eden said that. Why did she such a weapon? It's like touching eternity when I worship. Worship is reminding God of who he is. More importantly, it reminds us of who he is, that we make it about him, that worship has a transcendent quality, which Eden was just referring to, that it lifts us and changes us as we lift him up. Worship. If you're taking notes, write this word down, Sabbath, another practice we want to introduce to you today. Genesis 2 verse 2 says this, by the seventh day, God had finished the work so you know when you read that, you're like, great, man, what do you do? Okay, he created everything. He, he just finished the work. Seventh day, created everything. You know, what's next? On the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. It, we will explore this year, the beauty of Sabbath. We'll, we'll, we'll journey through and introduce the topic and teach you what it means. I've been someone who has had a Sabbath for all of my ministry life, which is probably like as employed on staff in a church, probably approaching 20 years. Many of those years, I've used that Sabbath more like a day off. I want to bring some clarity in the days that are to come about the difference between just a day off and a Sabbath, because they are very different. But on the seventh day, God rested. He invites us into worship with him. He encourages us that the six days are for work, and they'll be more fruitful if you work from Sabbath. The Western world and Western culture is difficult, because this, this is what we do. This is what we all do. We work hard and crash on vacation. That's pretty much how the Western world is established. Work hard, crash. God, this is not God's way. God's way is rest and worship, and from that you work. The Bible says in Mark 3, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Interesting. Jesus said to the man who had the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Jesus, like he's making a scene now. Then Jesus, uh, uh, he asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. They looked around in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand and his hand was completely restored. It was healed. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot how they might kill Jesus. Jesus was crucified because he blasphemed. He said, I'm the son of God. He was crucified because they said he was a friend of sinners. And friends today, one of our closing points is this. He was crucified because he healed on the Sabbath. Is God's message in healing on the Sabbath that he wants us to know that in the first century he did it and is still doing it in the 21st? that he healed this man's hand 
and was crucified for it. Maybe his point was not just the healing of the hand, but to say, if you will rest, I'll heal you too. That if you will just stop and assume for a second that the world doesn't revolve around you and your work will still be there when you get back, that you'll be healed. One of the most difficult things about Sabbath is understanding that no matter how much work I do, I'm never going to finish it. That no matter how hard I work, there'll still be more work. That that's a difficult lesson of the Sabbath because that's my morality. That's my, uh, that's my humanness. That's the fact that I won't live forever and I can't do everything and I'm not omnipresent and omni, omnipotent. That I only have a limited capacity and limited gifting. But Sabbath says, come away. Forget about it for a second. Rest, be refreshed, worship and be healed. And don't worry, the work will be there when you get back. Someone said this in our team. Sabbath is a need, not a want. It's how I can serve and pour out. Without Sabbath, I am dry and I'm not offering up the best that I have to the Lord. Someone else said, Sabbath, I love it because it teaches me that even God rests and it's a time to reflect on what truly matters in life. And another person said, one of the leaders quoted Jesus and they said, Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It was made, God made it to give to man. Sabbath serves us and not the other way around. Giving, if you're taking notes, is our final practice today. Someone said this in our team. I love giving as a discipline so much. For any discipline or really anything, I always start with what God says. Because like if I start from the perspective that he's all powerful and he created the world and he's unchanging and separate from time, I'm going to care far less about my own view and more about his view. He decrees it. He expects it. When you give, he says, not if you give. So I better get in line, this person says. But then there's this awesome part where it's such a blessing for me to do it. The more I give, the more I want to give. Like how people started to run. That might give you a clue as to who wrote this. That when people started to run, they're doing it and get healthier or lose weight. Then all of a sudden they want to do it more and more. And then that's just a picture of what God is as a loving father. He commands us to give. And when we give, we see how much it blesses us. And we see that God just wants to do these things that are good for you and good for me. Another person wrote this. Giving, I feel, is one of those who you are when no one's looking type disciplines. Are you putting the money where your mouth is? Behind the scenes, we are generous. Are we generous givers when no one's watching? It's so often an invisible discipline that it's easy to neglect and think that it's less important. If I'm not giving or I'm not being generous, then it's not like anyone else sees it anyway. It's not like I'm being praised or encouraged for my giving, but God sees it. And I feel like this can sometimes be one of the biggest indications of our heart or of our devotion and our worship to God. Someone said, giving realigns my priorities and what is really important. Another leader said this, it brings me joy when I focus on others. I become happier and less anxious. Another leader said this as we wrap up. He said, yes, I totally agree with all of these. And just to add to them, I really believe that God expects these disciplines from us. I've experienced a lot of those awesome benefits that people have listed. But even if I didn't, God expects these disciplines from me and I'm going to follow him and expect that he knows 
better than me. Wow. For me, it's such a picture of a loving father who is able to see things so much more clearly than me, like a parent raising their child. Today's not about Sabbath. It's not about giving, worship, Bible reading. Today, today's an introduction to spiritual disciplines. It's an, it's an introduction to biblical practices. But they are all things that will help you build relationship. When I get home after this, guarantee you this. Hugo will be playing with Lego or like those cars, you know, with the pressure thing, hot wheels, like ramp, you know, it's like a place, woo. He'll be playing with Lego. He'll be building and creating some kind of rubbish truck that runs on tracks or it's like a snowmobile and it like, you know, with lasers and it can destroy planets but also serve the people. Jovi will be drawing. She'll be drawing around her hand or she'll be drawing unicorns. She's getting good, man. And she'll be drawing and stuff. If I want to go home and build a relationship with my kids, I need to do what they do. I've got to find the conduit to their heart. A lot of parents use bribery. I'm sure I do too. Sweet treats, ice cream. I know there are cookies in the top shelf. I can hook them up just to get the brownie points up. But if I really want to build a life where I'm connecting, I need to get to their level and do what they do. These practices are that exact same thing for relationship with Jesus. That to talk to him and pray is, is, is fundamental to relationship with him. Sometimes to sit in silence and walk through a forest and just adore his presence and nature. And I, I love preaching in this facility here at, at Knox Presbyterian Church, Lisgar and Elgin, because it's just such a beautiful space. I feel God's presence when I'm here. I love when we're at Southminster. I feel God's presence when I look at those stained glass windows and these huge spaces. He's present. He's, all of these practices and things that we do in songs of worship, we had our first in-person gathering of leaders the other night that we've had in two years. People there singing worship, praying, like just, just God was there as a prophecy. It was just at um, the office on Wednesdays where Chris will play and people sing, we worship. Like it, you, it's a transcendent feeling. But the goal is not worship. The goal is relationship. And so if you're here today, we can engage in the first thing we talked about today, which is prayer, because prayer is the start. Prayer and repentance is how we get into the relationship with God. That's the doorway to get to Jesus, and He is the way to the Father. And so today, if you're distant from God, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not walking with Him, you're not in the right space with God, you've never prayed a simple prayer, I want to pray that prayer with you today. Because that prayer, that conduit, that practice, that discipline is the start of a beautiful journey of discipleship. So if you're here today, you don't know Jesus, I really want to pray with you. I want to pray a simple prayer, then I'm going to hand over to, the, to our hosts today. And the prayer goes like this, pray it with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to hand you back to our hosts. I'll be back next week with number four. Then we're going to hear from Nadia on the Holy Spirit. Cannot wait. So looking forward to it. See you later. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.